Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to the notion of enlightenment, an hour for inquiry and reflection, all in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. An hour devoted to exploring the edge of consciousness and all that is implied thereof. An hour that recognizes the nature of the subjective experience as being at least as important as the objective reality we reside within. Indeed, an hour where we strive to evaluate knowledge as inseparable from the total experience of reality. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. <laughs> All right. Each week I read a few of your letters as our way of paying respect to the importance you play in helping us to shape our show and improve it in every way. Last week I shared a letter that expressed a sentiment of discomfort based upon how I expressed disagreement with some guests. We conducted a survey and I asked two questions. First, should I let information fly by that is questionable at best and or that I know to be in error? Second, should we reformat our show to be a good feeling show? I tell you, this touched off a firestorm of letters. Now, the vast majority of you, over 90%, expressed your desire to have no changes made to the show. However, reading the comments carefully does suggest that a few of you believe I am too aggressive when these differences arise. So for some, the idea is don't change the show, but make it more feely, more feel-good, And I'm sorry, I must tell you, I'm not sure how to do that. I I thought I was doing that. Uh, Fifi wrote, I believe it would be irresponsible if you simply whitewashed your guests. Yes, I can understand why someone would not want to hear contention. But at the same time, if you didn't contend, I feel you would do an injustice to the populace by allowing unsubstantiated theories to pass. It's easy to whitewash for the sake of feeling secure. However, it doesn't do anyone any good. Fran wrote, I love your show. The other day there was a comment from Kelly about having to tune you out at times. I've never done that with your show. I have to say that with all the wonderful shows on Hay House, I find yours the most interesting. Keep up the good work, Eldon. Well, I will, Fran. Thank you. Sue from England wrote, this week's show was great, and I felt I had to just comment on the remark by the person who tunes out if you give a guest a tough time. It was like Richard Dawkins in reverse. Whoa. I think if you can't accept people questioning what you believe in, you have to question your own truth. If you are afraid of your beliefs being challenged, then how strong are your beliefs in the first place? Keep on challenging your guests, Eldon, and if they don't like it, so be it. Anyway, as you say, and what does that mean? It is up to us to make up our own minds. We need people like you to help us do so. Thanks again for a great show. Well, thanks for the letter, Sue. Anne wrote, don't change your format. Disagreeing with someone can often open doors in our minds or solidify our current path. Clarifying and searching is so important. I am sure your opinions have changed over time. So will ours. It is so important for all of us to say what we think, right or wrong. Don't change. You don't ever impose your opinions, our choice anyway, to decide what works for us. And Kevin had this to say, this show is provocative enlightenment, not provocative delusion. This show can only make you feel good because the truth will make you feel good. Now, I must tell you, I agree with the sentiments expressed in all of these comments. I believe 
in the almost unlimited potential of the human condition, the gift given us all by the Creator. But with that said, I do not see that potential developed when encircled by a smokescreen of nonsense. Perhaps it smells good like a favorite incense, but it is a very poor way to investigate the true fragrance of fresh air. Now, with a dissenting comment and somewhat qualified at that, Thomas had this to say in our chat room. Quote, sadly, I do agree with most of this letter. I am ultra empathetic to people. So where there's a hard debate going on, it makes me uncomfortable and has turned my partner off, end quote. And a guest in our chat room added this, anonymous guest, your program is called Provocative Enlightenment. That, to me, suggests and encourages all of us to look beyond what we currently believe. My encouragement would be for you to consider doing the same, as you would ask of your listeners. Also, find a more creative, diplomatic way to ask questions on topics that you know you have a strong, different opinion on versus your guest. End quote. All right. I thank all of you for your opinions and letters on this subject, and they do make a difference in our programming. I'm still evaluating it all. I am very aware that you cannot expect to please everyone, and I have given serious thought to whether or not this show is right for this venue, this forum. So once again, your input is valuable. Okay, back to our letters. Diane wrote, fabulous content. I listened to you on Hay House. Lane wrote, I am presently reading mind programming, and I'm totally engrossed in it. My family has already agreed, chosen to eliminate some TV shows entirely because of the over-sensational content. Thank you for writing this amazing book. Well, thank you, Lane. Elizabeth wrote, I listen to you every week. Today I watched your video series, Change Without Thinking. Thanks, Elizabeth. I hope you enjoyed it. Suzanne wrote, <clears throat> excuse me. Hi, Eldon. Thank you for your pay-it-forward MP3s. It is a snow day here in South Carolina and a perfect day for me to listen to your gifts. Well, and that's my segue to remind all of you to go to eldentaylor.com and get your free InterTalk programs today. What did you think of last week's show, Ravinder? I thought it was a fabulous show. And uh, what do you think of the contention? Um, you know, I think there is the time to um, hear other people's points of view, and there is time to question it. You don't want to take it all in totally. I personally think you do a perfect job. Though. Okay, you're biased. All right. You Cheeky. can be quiet now. <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> All right, now to today's show. I know. Did you have something else you wanted? I do. I do. You're always stealing my thunder here. Well, I don't mean to. I got something from one of your customers. It's actually addressed to you and not to me, but I haven't shown it to you yet. So I thought I would read you this letter that I got. Okay. All right. You're scared now. See ya. <laughs> a little. My name is Bryce. I simply must thank you for how you have changed my life. I borrowed your book, Mind Programming, from my dad last summer and thoroughly enjoyed it. The first half scared the bejesus out of me, but the second half was nothing short of enlightening. After reading your book, I was a bit skeptical, so I tossed your CD, Serenity, with music on my MP3 player and started listening to it. Within 10 seconds, I felt a warm blanket of relaxation come over me. Needless to say, I studied very well that day. After experiencing that, I thought I'd take it to the next level and really put it to the test. So I purchased your Genius Series and 
listened to all of them every night for the two weeks preceding the fall semester last year, hoping it would give me an edge on what appeared to be a daunting semester of six classes, many of them senior. Not only did my reading pace blast forward, but my vocabulary has expanded quite noticeably. My memory expanded, so I was able to directly quote the book during tests and learning seems to be a drastically simplified affair. I like these kind of stuff. They give me the warm fuzzies. I accomplished a 3.8 that semester. That was up 0.3 from the prior semester. Your program simply didn't simply pass the test. It superseded any expectation I could have imagined. I should also admit that it astonished me to wake up feeling smarter the next morning. And then he goes on. Upon those results, I had other insecurities. And then he goes through the other programs that he dealt with, the enhancing intimacy program, rescripting the inner child that helped remedy, you know, lots of unwanted thoughts. Um, Mr. Taylor, it's simply not possible for me to fully articulate the extent to which you've changed my life, all for the better too. I've used neuro-linguistic programming for years preceding your book, trying to get rid of my insecurities to grow more fully and embrace as much of life as I possibly could. And your inner talk programs took every goal that I perceived and pushed me to them and well beyond. For the first time in my life, I find myself having all the tools necessary to accomplish any and all of the goals I have made and will continue to make. I will reach the sky with your help. Thank you so much. Wow, that's that's a wonderful letter. That I is a new warm one. fuzzy for me. You know, that's that's great. Now to today's show. I know that it is popular nowadays to think of the afterlife as a wonderful place full of perfect beings. Afterlife discussions are therefore almost totally focused on feel-good experiences. Here we go again. We hear of white light, peace, love, and beauty, but not of pain, abandonment, or evil. History is full of afterlife details describing the dead that are trapped and cannot go on to cross over to the other side, the poltergeist, possession, and much more. The so-called dead have spoken to us in many ways, sharing more than one possible afterlife scenario, at least as an intermediary state. Mediums in the past have brought through spirits with absolutely malevolent intent. There are more than just a few instances where something connected to the use of a portal device, such as a Ouija board, leads to unfortunate consequences. And then there is the sometimes disgusting, even revolting phenomena known as ectoplasma and other manifestations from the other side. Well, what is the history, the science, the evidence of communication from the dead? Our guest today has spent the last several years becoming an expert on communication with the dead. After graduating from San Jose State College in 1958, where he studied journalism, and after spending three years as an officer in the Marine Corps, Michael Tim had two careers, one in insurance claims management and the other as a freelance journalist. His articles have appeared in more than 40 publications. He now serves as vice president of the Academy of Spirituality and Paranormal Studies and edits one of the Academy's two quarterly publications, The Searchlight. He is the author of the wonderful book, Articulate Dead, and writes a monthly feature for two national running magazines and has also been a frequent contributor to Atlantis Rising magazine. Mike's book is a must-read, in my opinion. If you're truly interested in mediumship in any of its forms, its history, and so forth, 
including those that we see so commonly today with people like John Edwards. Again, the book is The Articulate Dead. So let's welcome my friend Michael Tim to the show. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's indeed our pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. Let's just start out. You and I have chatted before. I mean, you've actually interviewed me. I've interviewed you. But for our listening audience, why did you write The Articulate Dead? And why are you still writing about research that's 100 years old? Good question. Um, I started uh, reading about uh, the afterlife and looking at the evidence for the afterlife uh, during the 1980s. I started out with... um, Edgar Cayce and reincarnation studies, and I went to near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences. Uh, I looked at deathbed visions and so forth, and uh, along the way, I I read a lot of material about the old research, uh, the mediums of yesteryear, and it was all very confusing. Um, And it didn't really start to fall into place probably until the second or third time that I read a lot of it, and I realized that Something was needed to try and make sense out of uh, all the gobbledygook that was coming through, and that was that was my motivation to try and make sense out of all the mediumship that uh, was reported in the during the late 1800s and early 1900s. And I like to think that I succeeded to some extent. In fact, I just got an email this morning from somebody in Pennsylvania saying he just read the book, and and now a lot of things that confuse him, you know, finally make sense. So sure. that, that was yeah, that was my primary motivation. It is a great read. It is a great book, and it does it. It really tells the story, uh, a large story that we don't see or hear about anymore. Uh, but but let's let's get into the book and the forward to the articulate dead. Uh, you address uh, the advance of science, free of spiritual this and that. Uh, and I believe you cited three television specials that you watched in 2005, not one of which addressed the real possibility of an afterlife. Right. You had some observations and comments to make with respect to that. Please share your view. Well, I think the problem is that, you know, everybody's looking for God, and they can't find God, they can't identify God, so they never go to the next step and look at, you know, look at the evidence for the, you know, survival of consciousness as we you know, often called it in, in in the parapsychological field and so psychical research fields. Uh, my feeling is you look at the evidence first and let God unfold from that. Uh, if you just keep looking for God as mainstream religion, orthodox religion seems to be doing, you just keep going around in circles and you you never get to the evidence for for the afterlife. So that's that's my yeah. main position. First, look at the evidence. Take an inductive approach, and then let the you know, let God unfold from that. Okay, and 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 your approach then is, of course, to look at the survival of consciousness. Does the right. survival of consciousness therefore imply a creator of some kind or another? Well, that becomes the second question. But the first question is: Does consciousness survive death of the body? And, and and you do an excellent job by going through the history of prior mediums, establish some evidence for that. But before we get into that, it seems like we have only uh, the clairvoyant type of mediumship today. Those such as we see on TV like John Edward, James Von Prague, Lisa Williams. Why don't we hear of the trance mediums like Leonora Piper or Gladys Osborne Leonard and some of the others that you mentioned in your book? 
I think the main reason is um, we have too much entertainment in the world today. TV and before television and radio, all this old mediumship took place, you know, when people didn't have anything to do at night except sit around and talk to each other or go into their rooms and meditate or whatever. Um, And so I think that's the primary reason. We just don't have the quiet time that we had then. It takes time to develop mediumship and... People just aren't interested. They don't have the patience today to to do that. There are probably a lot of people out there with with mediumship ability, but they just don't know it because they don't have that that quiet time or you know to become passive and and recognize it. Now, maybe what we should do is kind of delineate between the different types of mediumship, so it's clear to everyone that that you know the medium of John Edward or James von Prague, for example, is entirely different than. Uh, the medium uh, that has a seance or uh, the medium that uh, uh, from which uh, ectoplasma uh, is excreted. So give us an overview of the kinds of mediums that that you have been able to differentiate. Okay, as you point out, I mean, John Edward, uh, James von Prague, Lisa Williams, they're of the clairvoyant or clairaudient, clairsentient type. Uh, they They see images, they they hear words or sounds, or they feel something, and they try to interpret, you know, what it is they're feeling, seeing, or, or hearing. And, you know, one of the problems there, you know, the skeptics keep saying that they're cold reading, that they're, you know, they're talking, that they don't know exactly what they're getting, and so they're asking questions of the sitter, in which case, the, you know, it sounds like they are fishing for information, when in fact what they're doing is trying to interpret what they get, they're get. they getting. They're, they're seeing this image of something, and they don't know what to make of it, so they're asking, uh, you know, the, the sitter, you know, you know, I, I'm getting something here. That I'm, is this your brother? Or is this your uh, some something on your fa- somebody on your father's side, and so forth? So it, it does sound like that they're fishing and, and, and cold reading, but that's not what it is. But uh, but that, that's just one type of mediumship. The type that my book deals with is mostly transmediumship. Leonora Piper and Gladys Osborne Leonard are the two stars of my book. Uh, Leonora Piper, um, her mediumship began to develop uh, in 1885 and went up to about 1910. And Gladys Osborne Leonard, who was a British transmedium, uh, developed uh, in run around the beginning of the First World War and went up to about 1950, I guess. But what they would do, they would sit um, and go into a trance, and their bodies would be taken over by a spirit control. The spirit control would then relay messages. That they're, they're, they're in effect four parts, uh, four, four parties to the uh, mediumship. You had the sitter, the person who was there hoping to get some hear from from somebody in the spirit world. You had the medium, and then on the other side, you had the communicator. And then what's called a control, which was which is really a medium on that side. So in effect, what was happening was the spirit who wanted to communicate would give a message to the control, who had to interpret that message, put it through the medium, through the medium's mind, and and then relay it on to the person sitting there. So. It became very confusing, and a lot of these messages got distorted in the, in the process. 
And one of the one of the biggest problems is that the control, the spirit control, when he or she is getting a message from the spirit communicator, it's not in words. It's in it's the pictographic method. It's thought transference that's taking place. So if the the spirit communicator is trying to show that okay, he went fishing with this part with this particular person that you know trying to recall memories of of a fishing expedition or whatever there might be a, a picture an image of let's say two boys fishing so the control gets that gets it through the medium you know two boys fishing and they have to try and you know make sense of that and you know i'm getting a picture here of two boys fishing it must be you and this, the party who's talking, the party who's communicating, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, right. supposed fishing going on here. But that, that was the main type of um, uh, mediumship going on uh, with Leonora Piper and, and uh, Gladys Osborne Leonard. But there was other types. There was physical mediumship where you have ectoplasm and levitations and various other strange things going on. You had um, the direct voice, which is not to be confused with the... Um, trans voice in a direct voice, you'd have uh, so-called trumpets or amplifiers that would actually float around the room, and the spirits would use that to talk through. They didn't talk through the medium; they talked through the the trumpet, and that actually was probably the most evidential type of mediumship there was, because the voices actually sounded the same as as the person when. Uh, you know, the person was alive, but there were very few direct voice mediums around at the time. And, of course, there's automatic writing, which is probably the most common, and there are different types of automatic writing. You had uh, people who'd go into a trance and do automatic writing, people who were in a semi-trance, and there were, some people didn't require trance at all. So there's quite a variation. And, and in in all of your research, you did come across several cases where, or instances, cases, maybe that fits, where there was some physical uh, evidence maybe to validate. I, I'm reminded of the story, I believe it was two sisters uh, who uh, heard some tapping on the wall uh, eventually to, well, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to give that story away. We're coming up. We, we've got about a minute before we have a hard break. I'll ask you about uh, those two sisters uh, when we come back from the break. You do remember what I'm talking about? Yes, right? yes, the Fox sisters, huh? Yeah. Okay. So, which is a great story. And I think one of the one of the compelling things when you really look at the evidence is the the amount of independent support that just challenges the the notion that this is uh, fabricated information or a matter of coincidence, et cetera. And maybe we can talk about some of that too. When okay. We get back. The book is um, the articulate debt. My guest today is Michael Tim, and we're discussing uh, his research, looking at, uh, Many, many years of uh, mediumship in the past. It's uh, a marvelous read. Uh, you can find links to it on my website. Uh, obviously, you can find it in the brick and mortar stores as well as uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. Uh, we'll be right back after these words from some of our friends. Be sure to stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up. Every day, every moment, we face choices. 
Yet, how many of those choices are truly our own? Are you ready to step onto the path of discovery? Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestseller, Choices and Illusions, now revised, updated, and expanded. Eldon combines provocative information, scientific research, and his own life's journey into a powerful message that we have the power to change. All we must do is be willing to choose to take the chance and change. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner Talk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner Talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier. From losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing a very interesting book, The Articulate Dead, with the author Michael Tim. But before we get back to today's show, I want to invite you to sign up for my free newsletter. When you receive my newsletter, you not only gain access to some great articles and timely news, but you always know where I am and what's on next. You can sign up for the free newsletter by going to eldentaylor.com. And once there, be sure to check out all the free content. We often have promotions and freebies that are only available to subscribers of our newsletter. So I do encourage you to do that. We have a lot of material on the website that's yours for the downloading, books, audio, video, and more. We hope you enjoy it. Okay, I also invite you to join me on Facebook as a fan of our new Provocative Enlightenment page. Let's get back to the show. Before the break, we were discussing the evidence, uh, the solid evidence that uh, uh, comes out of much of the research that uh, Michael has done. And uh, and one of the stories that I like best that he tells in the book uh, involved the Fox sisters. You were going to pick up from there, Michael. Tell us that story, would you? Right. Um, the whole so-called mediumship epidemic seems to have started in... Um a little burg outside of uh, Rochester, New York, called Hydesville, with a family known as the Fox Sisters. This was in 1848. Um, The Fox family moved in in December of 47, I think it was, and they continually heard knocks and taps and so forth around the house, and they didn't know what to make of it. They thought, you know, maybe the house was just getting old and creaking and so forth, but it's just uh, continued. And then... One night in March, um, the the two uh, two of the daughters, Kate and Margaret, um, decided or they they wondered if there was some intelligence in, in this, and they began respond. They they tried to talk to the knocks, and they said, you know, if there's somebody there and you can give an answer, yes or no, then knock twice. Uh, if if it's 
uh, if the answer is if the answer is yes, uh, knock three times. If the answer is no, knock once, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And they actually started getting answers that way. And they called us to the attention of their parents, and their parents called in neighbors and so forth, and they carried on these uh, conversations with the, quote, spirit that was communicating, who claimed to be uh, the spirit of a dead man who had died uh, in the house about, uh, I don't know, I think it was eight or nine years earlier, before the Fox family moved in, and was actually buried in the cellar of the house. Uh, anyway, as this went on, they learned to communicate by, by the alphabet, they would say, um, give us one knock for an A, two knocks for a B, three knocks for a C, and so forth. And and so they got full words that way. It was very slow, but uh, communication came through that way. Anyway, this spread, uh, you know, word of this spread throughout the country, then throughout the world, and all of a sudden, you know, this was going on all around the world. Apparently, other people were getting, you know, knocks too, and they didn't know what to make of it. And once they heard about the Fox family, they, you know, Figured out what to do and how to get communication. Now, one of the one of the um, uh, c- uh, communications that came through said that uh, Benjamin Franklin and Emanuel Swedenborg uh, figured out how to get these knocks through, working on the other side together. Of course, everybody knows who Benjamin Franklin was. Emanuel Swedenborg was a 17th century scientist, a very brilliant scientist and inventor. Right, and the, the two working together somehow figured out how to get these knocks through to our <laughs> our realm, and that's why it, it supposedly started in 1848 after they they discovered it. So anyway, it went from knocks and taps uh, to table tilting. Uh, the table would tilt so many times for you know three three tilts was a C, and four tilts a D, and so forth. It's all very slow, and it just more or less evolved from there. The um, the Fox family. Um, has gone down in history as, you know, as far as the debunkers are concerned, as complete frauds because uh, P.T. Barnum got a hold of them and put them on, you know, made a big show out of it. And there were times then that their gift of, uh, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. Apparently these two girls had mediumistic ability. I mean, whatever it is um, that, that makes a medium, we still don't know. I mean, it, it seems to be inherited to some extent, but exactly, you know, where mediumship comes from, nobody, you know, nobody seems to have figured that out. But anyway, they, they had mediumistic ability, and uh, but it doesn't always work. So when Barnum put them on, you know, on the stage and things didn't work, they apparently turned to trying to, you know, make things work, cheat, and, you know, whatever they had to do to get an answer to please the public, and, and they were actually caught in cheating and and um, so it was assumed then that everything they did was cheating. Right. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Michael, sometimes that pressure to perform mm-hmm. uh, influences many of our, our modern uh, mediums, if you will, uh, clairvoyance, etc. You, uh, you, you put that pressure on and it's expected people that have come uh, that paid to attend it's expected that you're going to make some kind of connection and so I think that further exacerbates the problem because when I've talked to some of these people and, and I'll just put this question to you they often tell me that they feel like they're making it up mm-hmm. and and so you know to feel like you're making it up it can be really difficult to separate the it feels like I'm making it up from it is I'm making it up. I mean, what's your thought on that? 
um, with the clairvoyant type, I think that is the case. Um, with the with the you know the knocks of of the Fox sisters and you know the other types of mediumship, it's hard to say that it's made up, especially. You know, with the direct voice, with the physical mediumship, that if, if right. you want to talk about ectoplasm, it's hard to say that's made up. But you know, right. the clairvoyant, yeah. the clairaudient type, yes. I mean, you hear you hear something, you say, you know, am I really hearing that, uh, or you know, is somebody talking to me? I, I, you know, and that's why I, you know, the clairvoyant, clairaudient type, um, to me, um, isn't as convincing as the as the old mediumship, and that's why I, I you know, wrote the book to. <laughs> You know, to bring up, that time. Yeah. yeah, right. Now, now, while we're on that subject, because I mean, you basically dated this to 1848, I think, or this particular form of mediumship. There are other forms that go back further than that. Uh, but your investigations in the entire area of psychic phenomena and life uh, uh, after death, uh, certainly you've dealt with poltergeists. In in the poltergeist examples, uh, Michael Goss, I believe it was, uh, compiled uh, a history, uh, and, and it had thousands of books that had been written uh, on poltergeist. And 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 some of this material, I mean, it it went way back, and it uh, with it, you know, it, it seemed to to suggest that uh, poltergeists uh, were just as at home in jungles of Indonesia as they would be in the suburbs of London. What what is your take on a poltergeist? Uh, I think it's mostly earthbound spirits that are influencing, you know, a particular member of the household. They they say they, you know, it's usually adolescent types that attract them, and the earthbound spirits are able to work through these people, although, you know, they don't really understand it or they don't realize, you know, that they're being used by the earthbound spirits. But Right. So now you, you heard the setup piece. Uh, you know, today we hear an awful lot. We, we, everywhere we turn, we read what I seem to, I mean, I interpret it as, uh, let me tell you what you want to hear as opposed to look at some of the historical evidence and, and some of this, the negative, your experience, uh, you know, are there, are there, uh, what should we say, confused or malevolent, uh, entities that, uh, are trapped or somewhere they have crossed over. They are no longer in the physical body, but their consciousness is still here and available uh, to haunt. Or what? What is your take on that side of the equation? Uh, well, what we're told. I mean, I I talk about modern revelation as a revelation coming to us. Uh, you know, in the last couple of hundred years uh, through various mediums. I mean, you have to. You know, the the. the um, a hardcore religionist would say, you know, you don't listen to any of that stuff. The Old Testament says, you know, you shouldn't talk to the dead, and the dead know nothing, and so forth. But then in the New Testament, we read that you should test the spirits as to whether they're of God, and you should discern the messages, and so forth, which, you know, that's in complete conflict with the Old Testament. So, right. you know, um, but what this new revelation says is that, you know, we go over just as we are. I mean, you're not going to be any different once you cross over. I mean, so... If you're, you know, a very confused person, if you're, you know, like the person in Arizona that um, just caused that tra- tragedy down there, if he were to cross over right now, he'd be just as confused once he got over there, and he, he'd probably be in an earthbound condition and not even realize he's dead. Um, you know, we, we constantly read in, in the material that, you know, a very large, uh, you know, increasingly large percentage of people that, that 
die just don't understand that they're dead. They're it's as if they're li- living in a dream world, having a bad dream. And you know, it's hard to understand how can you not know you're dead if you're you know you're around somebody and the person doesn't respond to your questions. But you know, by the same token, you know, when you're dreaming, you know that you're alive. I mean, right? It, it, you know, it's very confusing, but but it it seems clear that. You know, these earthbound spirits um, uh, just don't understand that they're dead, and somehow they're able to influence um, people of like mind that are still, you know, in the flesh. But I, I think there's some that, that a level just above the earthbound spirits, that they do understand that they're dead, but they're still, you know, um, let's say somewhat evil or wicked or whatever you want to call it, and, and are doing their best to... You know, influence others of like mind. So maybe, as I mean, since you mentioned uh, the Bible, as Ephesians says, uh, maybe we should put on a full armor of God so that we can. Uh, how does that verse go? Put on a full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes of bad spirits. Um, something like that. I don't have that at hand, but. Yeah, well, but, uh, and, and you know, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but all right. <laughs> Bottom line is, of course, uh, and and this is where I wanted to go. Uh, one of the things that we have to remember is that, um, as you so well put it, uh, you don't get smarter just because you die. Right. Uh, you, you you're going to transition uh, at the level of consciousness that you are when you transition. And if for all intent and purposes, you're a Charles Manson, unrepentant, and you do it again, given an opportunity, well, you might be earthbound. And with that anger and animus, et cetera, you may see what you might do to inflict uh, discomfort, pain, and what have you on the living. Right. That's your take. Yeah, mine yeah. too. All right. Mm-hmm. Cool enough. Let's let's go on. Except for D.D. Hume. Your book doesn't go into physical mediumship, the ectoplasma, materializations, etc. But but you have thoughts on that subject. Are, are you familiar with the work of the photos of Dr. T.G. Hamilton? We showed some of those during the uh, uh, break uh, on the chat room. Definitely. Um, not only Hamilton, but Dr. Gustave Gilly, who is a French... Um uh, researcher, yes. Dr. Charles Roche, who's actually a, a Nobel Prize winner. They they both took a number of photographs of ectoplasm and and several other people too. Um, and I, I think when when you look at those photographs, it's an immediate turnoff. You say, you know, how can this stuff be real? I mean, some of them are really hokey looking. And That's... The, the reason for that is that um, what, what's happening with the ectoplasm is that the spirits are trying to project an image of themselves into the ectoplasm. But sometimes, you know, they, they just, it's, it's, it's a, from what I understand, it's like artistic ability. Spirits have, you know, the ability to manipulate this ectoplasm and show themselves is a lot like artistic ability, you know, on the earth realm here. It, it, you know, it exists in various degrees. So some spirits can actually show themselves. Others make a real, you know, disaster of it. You know, maybe a stick figure or something is the best they can draw. And so a lot of the things that come through are incomplete materializations. Very, very seldom 
you get a full materialization of a person. Um, Dr. Riche, who I mentioned, was the, the Nobel Prize winner in medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was communicating with the spirit at one time and, and asked him to materialize if he could. And the spirit said he couldn't materialize but he, because he couldn't remember what he looked like. Um, and that also happened with Florence Marriott. Uh, she was uh, she was a uh, British um, um, writer who was sitting with um, sat in a number of, of, of uh, seances with Sir William Crooks and Florence Cook. And she, her, her friend of hers, materialized, and you know, she said, you know, it doesn't really look like you. I mean, I, I, I forget, you know, what his name was, and. He says, well, I'm having a hard time, you know, figuring out how to do this. If you come back tomorrow night, maybe I'll, I can get a lesson or something, do it a little bit better. So she came back the following night, and sure enough, he materialized a little bit better, and she recognized him as as uh, who he was. But um, so many of these, I mean, sometimes just a hand, sometimes a, a head, sometimes, a, a you know, a, a foot and sometimes, or a face. And sometimes just a goo coming from the nostrils or the ears or something. Right, and I right. think that's what... That's what makes it seem so repulsive is this unidentified substance coming from places that we typically think of substances coming that we're not very fond of. Right. It it actually comes in in various forms. I mean, sometimes it's just a a vaporous form. Sometimes it's uh, uh, liquid, sometimes fibrous. Other times it's like a thick paste. So there's no, you know, no set form that it comes through. It's been reported in, you know, all these different forms. Um, just to quote Dr. Riche, who I mentioned earlier, he uh, he said it is a whitey substance that creeps as if alive with damp, cold, protoplasmic extensions that are transformed under the eyes of the experimenters into a hand, finger, a head, or even an entire figure. Okay, now, Mike, you and I both deal with so-called hard scientists that, for all intent and purposes, uh, treat this material as though it's hogwash. Right. And and we both, you know, uh, find ourselves, uh, what, I hate to use this word, but it fits from the setup, uh, in contention with their positions. And, uh, you know, I, I look at this history, and I look particularly at a lot of the history you're talking about or that that's in your book, but all of the data that's out there and the Nobel Prize winners, as you point out, that have actually photographed this material. They have no motive to misrepresent or to tarnish their own credentials. Indeed, they, they're really, you know, risking everything to come forward with solid evidence. Why on earth do you think it is that with all of this evidence, there is still this... Uh, this, what shall we say? Why is the world so slow in accepting the evidence for the survival of consciousness? Not only you know that of mediumship, but but through all the other areas, the NDE research, past life studies, etc. What, what propels? I mean, what what do you think is the motive there? Well, I think it's fundamentalism, religious fundamentalism on one side, and scientific fundamental fundamentalism on the other side. Often called scientism. Um, they're just stuck in, you know, a certain mindset. They're not prepared to accept anything other than, than, um, you know, what they already believe. And they represent a very large percentage of the population. Unfortunately, the media 
goes along with the scientific fundamentalists and, you know, treats everything tongue-in-cheek, anything, you know, really meaningful, you know, is reported, the media, the, 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 the media itself just, you know, treats it in a, in a tongue-in-cheek manner and doesn't, um, you know, give any weight to it. So that's the problem, I think. We've got, you know, 40% of the population is a fundamentalist religion and 40% are, on the other end, uh, scientific fundamentalists, and we've got the 20% in the middle just can't make any headway. Yeah, and as Dawkins points out, and they, and they want to make this a, a contest of intellectual elitism. So so you get Dawkins and Hitchens and, and their crew essentially, you know, stepping out there with Paul Kurtz saying, you know, are you aware that the Royal Academy of Sciences only has 3% of its members that believe in, in a god? You know, mm-hmm. uh, so so by definition, what they want to do is frame the argument that is the less bright people uh, that that do believe in a, in a creator or an afterlife, uh, etc. And when you say you know science community, I I had Science Channel on last night with my sons, and we were watching a, a piece on the on the nature of uh, the universe. And uh, it was this was a Science Channel, it was totally represented as science. And you know it, it begins, it opens up by essentially saying you know. The Earth, it just happens to be in this one in a million, this perfect uh, location. The sun just happens to be the right size to, to burn long enough to create life. The, the uh, solar system just happens. And they go through all this just happens, just happens. I'm reminded of Anthony Flew, who uh, for years was the most famous atheist on the planet and then switched because the probabilities of all these just happens... Um, it's so astronomical that why on earth would you believe that it, it it all came about as just happens? And yet in this show, then they said, but you might think this implies a grand designer. However, it doesn't. And let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, that why was a, a strictly reductionist, mere materialistic fundamentalism, uh, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think then, Mike? Is the future of uh, mediumship? Uh, where is this all going to go? Well, a lot of my friends think that we're you know the world is opening up to it. I, I don't see that uh, so much. Uh, you know, I, well, I, I do see little signs of it. Uh, for, I don't know if you've seen this new um, Bio Channel series they have. Uh, I survived beyond and back. It, it it's. Um, involves uh, people who've had near-death experiences. It's the first time that I've seen a program that they didn't invite a debunker on to give the other side. Uh, you know, and, and when, mm-hmm. when, when you look at these near-death, you know, people reporting their near-death experiences, they're, they're, you know, very meaningful reports, and you're not left with a debunker saying, oh, well, they're just, you know, the tunnel effect is from brain shutting down and so forth. And so if we have more programs like that, um, you know, I think there is uh, uh, going to be some progress. Uh, as, as I think I mentioned the last time I talked to you, I, you know, I interviewed Dr. Gary Schwartz a number of years ago, and uh, he he pointed out the problem that, you know, every time that he's interviewed, they had to have a debunker on to give the other side of the story, and for the most part, the debunker knew nothing about his research. He's just giving you know general statements, right. and he he you know. Dr. Schwartz said that, you know, 
I'm I'm the skeptic here. I start as the skeptic, and then I I gather information that leads me in one direction or the other, and I'm giving my, you know, version of what I found. It's not necessary to bring in a skeptic to counter what I've already, you know, said. So that that is counterproductive and something the media hasn't, you know, fully grasped outside of this, you know, bio channel that I just mentioned is the first time I've, you know, what, what is that, that channel that you mentioned? Bio, B-I-O, biography Bio. channel, the biography channel. Oh, yeah, I'm going to have to check that. I one think it's out, on right? sun, Sundays. It's on Sundays. It's called. There, there's two two programs. They have uh, I survived, and then I survived beyond and back. The la- the latter beyond and back is the the near death experiences. I'm going to have to check that one out. I'd, I'd suggest everybody does, but that's great. Mike, we have about 30 seconds, and there's so many questions that I would ask you, uh, so many more stories that are in your book that, that I wanted you to share. You know, uh, the the stories of Glassenberry and Patience Worth and, and on and on and on. So what I want you to do is please tell our listening audience best way to contact you, to follow your work, uh, you know, uh, Give us give us a path to your doorway, sir. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I don't have um, the websites written down here. They're they're too complex for me. But uh, if you just put my name, Michael Tim T Y M N, uh, into a Google search, you'll bring up my website and my book and everything else. Uh, if anybody interested in my book, and just go to Amazon dot com and put in the Articulate Dead, and it'll bring it up. Okay, and it is a great book. The book is The Articulate Dead. Again, it's Michael Tim. That's our guest today, and that spelling is T-Y-M-N. I I really appreciate you being here with us, Mike. We're going to have to bring you back so we can talk about some of these other things. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Elvin. Oh, my pleasure. And we've come to the end of another hour of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank you all for joining us, and uh, I do hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And if you have any comments on our show, do let us all know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself 